If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. And I'm going to start by saying a couple things while you're kind of turning there, getting it on your phone. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. We've been in a series. We're looking at everything that happened before the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew, it's where we're looking. Matthew chapter 5 is the Sermon on the Mount. So we're looking at everything that happened before then. But we've been doing it kind of going in backwards order. So we've been in chapter 4 and we're moving backwards toward chapter 1. And Christmas Eve will be at the beginning of Matthew chapter 1. Our Christmas Eve service will be at 7, if you can make it. Great. Um, but that's kind of where we've been, and so what we've looked at so far the past several weeks, we looked at the disciples, they're willing to leave everything to follow Jesus, and before that we talked about that Jesus said that he was the light that came into the darkness and said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, and then last week, Bob shared and talked about how Jesus was tempted and yet stands firm, and this week we're really talking about Jesus getting baptized, but that word baptized um, has so much around it. Could be because of the denomination we grew up, could be because of our own experiences, but, but we have a lot of baggage with the word baptism, I think. But the word baptism simply means to be immersed or submerged. That's what baptism means. And so we'll dive into that a little bit more in a minute. But again, like I said, we'll be in Matthew chapter 3, but Jesus' baptism is found in Mark, it's found in Luke, and it's found in John. It's found in all four of the Gospels. But we're going to be focusing mostly on Matthew, but we'll pull in a little bit of stuff from Mark, from Luke, and from John as well. Also, the next thing that I'll say is this. There is so, so much in this text. And I kind of knew that going into it, but I did not realize quite how much there was. And the crazy thing about like coming up here and trying to preach and to do this is like to formulate a sermon, you have to understand the text and explain it and seek to explain it in some sort of concise way. I'm going to be really real. It's not going to be real concise today. Um, I think it'll probably just be about an hour and a half. Um, So, just kidding, it won't be that long, but it might be long. Um, If anybody needs to stand up and stretch during it, you're totally fine. Stand up and stretch. Um, I might need to do the same thing. But but today, even though it's probably not going to be as concise as I normally try to be, I think I am still only scratching the surface of this topic. Um, Today, we're going to really try to do three things. One, why did Jesus get baptized? And that's really what we're going to spend a bulk of our time on. Why did Jesus get baptized? From there, we're going to talk about what what does it mean for us? And then last, we're going to conclude with how do we respond to this? So why did Jesus get baptized? What does it mean for us? And how do I respond to this? But this is a huge task. And so before we go any further, let's just pray. God, um, I know that you know my heart, that I feel unable to do this justice. Uh, You know in my heart that I'm concerned over being um, clear and this being understandable because this is truly something that's so easy to understand, yet the ramifications are so unbelievably deep. So I pray for clarity. I pray that you would open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your word. And God, I pray that as we behold you and we behold your glory, that you would truly, truly, truly change us. We thank you, we praise you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 17 says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went 
up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. The crazy thing in this is the, one of the first things that you see is you meet a guy named John. It's John the Baptist. Some, some people call him John the Baptizer. They don't want it to make it sound like he might have been the first Baptist. So John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. I prefer to call him Johnny B. So if you ever were to steal my, steal my journal where I take my notes, you would see Johnny B. And that's who it is. It's John the Baptist. So Johnny B., that's what we meet. We meet Johnny B. And he is a super odd dude. And that's actually going to be the topic for next week is that Johnny B. is weird. That's really the the sermon next week. So, but we'll dive into more of that next time. But for right now, Johnny B, he's super weird. He's in, a, in the wilderness and he's saying crazy things. If you just like looked at him on surface level, you'd be like, this dude's like, he's kind of insane. But here's some of the things that he's saying. He's telling people to flee the wrath of God. He says that there is an ax laid at the root of the tree. He says that God is going to clear the threshing floor. He says that basically that there's spiritual pollution all around you. And what he says is that we as people need to turn and to repent, confess our sins. And he says that he's coming to make the path straight for the people. Um, it's described that he would be one who would tell the salvation. He'd give knowledge to the people about salvation. And he's saying, turn, repent, uh, confess your sins. And so he's offering people to be baptized, to go into the water and to be submerged into the water. And by doing it figuratively, metaphorically, walking away out of the water with all of their sins staying in the water. That's kind of what he's saying. As you wash the sin away and you you can walk away feeling cleansed and pure and, and great with yourself and great because of who God is. But then he says that I don't want you just to come into the water, to be immersed into the water, walk away without your sins, but I want you to continue in that path. So he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In essence, he's saying, if you get baptized, be a changed person. If you have two tunics, share one. He says, if you are a tax collector and you're taking money from people, don't, don't rip them off. Like he kind of is saying, allow there to be a change in your life. It's really what John is saying. And what we find out is that many people, in fact, different places, it says all in the region are coming to get baptized. Some of it says all in the country of Judea are coming and being baptized. And we also hear that tax collectors are coming and being baptized. So we got crazy oddball Johnny B. He's baptizing people, dunking them in the water, and people are just coming like crazy. And that's what's going on. And people start thinking, is this the guy that the Old Testament is talking about? That he's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be the king. And so they start asking him, hey, Johnny B., are you the king? And he says, no, I'm not the king. He says, I'm just preparing the way. He goes on and he says that there will be one who's greater than him that comes. There'll be one who's mightier than him. And then he says this crazy thing. He says, someone who I'm unworthy to even untie their sandal. Which in that day and age, a servant would be the person who unties the sandal. And so what he's saying is, I'm beyond, I'm below even a servant compared to this guy. There's one that's greater, the one that's mightier that's coming. He says that there's one who will outrank him because he was before him. And, and Johnny B says, I'm going to baptize with water, but someone's going to come and who's going to baptize with a spirit. He's saying, I'm going to immerse people in the water, but someone will immerse the spirit into people. So that's what all is happening. And then it said that Jesus lit, went from Nazareth to uh, the Jordan to John to be baptized. And so John, Jesus is not just like happened upon this spot. Like this is miles away. This is a day journey at least. And so he's, he's walking. Jesus goes there specifically and intentionally for a purpose. 
and his purpose is to be baptized. And when John sees him at a distance, he says two things that are just amazing. He says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then he says another thing. He says, I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. And that's what John is saying about this Jesus as he sees him in a distance. But that's not what, what, conti- what continues to happen is that Jesus gets closer and closer and closer and closer. And then Jesus takes a step into the water. And John, at this point, I think, freaks out. And the reason why we see it in verse 14, it says that John would have prevented him. So Jesus is coming specifically to be baptized, and John's like, nope, nope, this isn't happening. And it, depending upon what translation you have, it might say rather than John would have prevented him, that John, would have resi- John resisted him, pro- prohibited him, tried to deter him, tried to talk him out of it, tried to stop him. But that verb that's used there is one of where something is happening but continuing to happen. If you've ever been like where somebody where you get two stubborn people who are trying to pay for the bill and there's just this fight back and forth, like, I'll pay, no, I'll pay, I'll pay. That's what's happening. Jesus wants to get baptized and John does not want him to. And there's kind of this little bickering and battle going on that John does not want him to. So then you're kind of left with another question of why does John not want to baptize Jesus? And if you really stop and think back to what this baptism is for, remember, John is baptizing people for the repentance of sins. John is is baptizing people so that they can have forgiveness from their sins. And John is repenting so that people can start over. They've been doing it the wrong way, and now they can do it the right way. They are coming into the water to be cleaned. And what, what Jesus is, or excuse me, what John is saying when he sees Jesus, he says, behold the Lamb of God. He's saying this guy does not need forgiveness of sins. This guy has done nothing wrong. Remember even when Jesus dies on the cross, this guy's done nothing wrong. What John is saying is this guy does not need this baptism because he has not done anything wrong. There is no sin in him. And what he's saying is he has nothing to flee from, nothing to turn from. And he's making this huge statement, a statement that other people in the New Testament will make. Paul will say in 2 Corinthians that Jesus had no sin and even knew no sin. Peter will say that there was no deceit found in Jesus' mouth. John in 1 John will say that in him, in Jesus, there was no sin. And the writer of Hebrews will say that Jesus was without sin. So what's happening is Jesus wants to come get baptized, what appears to be for the forgiveness of sins, and yet he has no sin. And so John is like, what in the world are you doing? Jesus, no, I can't baptize you. And then Jesus says this thing. He says, let it be so now, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And it's like this turning point, this hinge. John is not okay with this happening at all. And now... He's ready to move forward. And so let me give you the real fast answer. Why does Jesus get baptized? So he can fulfill all righteousness. All right, we're done. Um, I wish. That, that is like, what does that mean? And, and in that one verse, it is, it is um, fitting to fulfill all righteousness is so much that it is overwhelming. But John is on board, and John says, okay, I'll baptize you. They go into the Jordan, this place that has rich history and major symbolism, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And John puts his hands upon Jesus, which we'll talk about in a little bit, and he immerses him into the water. And then craziness goes down. The sky opens, the heavens part, and the Spirit comes down in the form of a dove. And then a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son 
with whom I am well pleased. And we can see that it all turns, it all changes on that, on that one sentence that Jesus said that he came to fulfill all righteousness. And so it's hard for us to really know what that means, and that's where we're going to really try to dive in so that we can answer our three main questions today. Why did Jesus get baptized? What does it mean for us? And how do we respond? So why did Jesus get baptized? I think if you're looking at this verse, but you're trying to figure it out, I think that you could come up with a couple answers. And I don't think that any of these answers are wrong. I think they are only part of it. I think it's kind of one of those, um, it's not this or this, it's this and this and this and this and this. It's, it's a huge, simple to understand, but the ramifications are amazing. That why did Jesus get baptized? You could say, well, it's a passing of the torch. I don't know anybody who, who does any um, track, and you got the relay race, and there's one who's reaching their hand back and passing the baton. And so you could look at this text and say, well, the reason why Jesus is getting baptized is the passing of the torch, so that John can begin to decrease, that Jesus begin to increase. And I don't disagree with that. It's a way for, to show that there's a greater one. It's a way for there to be a transferring of power, and it's a way for John to validate Jesus, and a way for Jesus to validate John. You're like, it's a transferring of power. It's kind of an inauguration, if you will is what's happening in this moment. And I agree, but I think it's beyond that. You could say, well, Jesus is getting baptized because God wanted him to. Like, I tried to watch different videos, try to listen to what different people thought about this, and there were some who just said, well, he was just, he's just supposed to. Like, well, yeah, but there's more than that, I think. So it's not just like God told him to do it, so he obeyed. It was just a hoop he had to jump through. It was like part of the job description. Like, if you want to be the Messiah, you got to be born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, baptized by some crazy man. Like, that's not really the whole reason. It's beyond that. Maybe it was a way to get the ball rolling. It was kind of the ordination, if you will, for his ministry to begin. And again, I don't think that's wrong. I agree with that, but I think it's beyond that. You could say, well, it's so that the heavens could part, so that the Spirit could come down, so that the voice could be heard to validate. Like, okay, I agree with all those things, but I think it's bigger than that. I think it's deeper than that, and the ramifications are far-reaching. Why does Jesus get baptized? I think to answer that question, to answer the question of what does it mean that Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness, you have to go all the way back to the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's John 1. And then it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So in the very beginning of time, there was the Word, which was Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The very, very beginning of time. And then verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So this God left heaven and came to earth in the form of Jesus. He's born in the likeness of man, born to woman. That means he subjects himself to the same things that you and I are subjected to. When this God comes to earth, he's subjected to, to going through the things that we went through. He goes through childhood, adolescence, puberty, middle school, goes through middle school. He went through high school. I don't know if they really had it the same, and you know, it's kind of a different time. You know? Had to learn how to do the computer, computer class, all that stuff. But he comes, this Jesus comes, and he subjects himself to the same things that we're subjected to, which includes that he subjects himself to the feeling of weakness. This God who created everything in that song, who created, he, who can still work, he subjects himself to weakness. It also, he subjects himself to temptation. Even in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says that Jesus is the one who came to sympathize, and he can, 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 excuse me, he came and he can sympathize with our weakness, and that he was tempted in every respect as we are. 
When Jesus came to this earth, what he did is he came under the same law, the same demand of perfection that we have. Be perfect because I am perfect. And he, in order for him to come and to fulfill all righteousness, he had to be put in a situation where everyone else has ever fallen and see what he could do. For him to do the right thing, righteousness, every single time he had to do the right thing when everyone else had done the wrong thing. So what you see, even with what we talked about last night or last week, remember Adam and Eve, there's Adam and Eve, they're together in the garden. So you got Adam and Eve, they're together in a garden and they face temptation. Remember the serpent comes to him and says, um, did God really say? And so what you see in that, Adam and Eve, they're tempted, they're together, they're tempted, they're tempted in a garden, tempted with one question, did God really say? And it's like this little tiny little crack of an egg. Did God really say? And it's just the spider's of that crack just continue and continue until they fall. But then you get Jesus. Jesus is not with someone else. He's alone, facing the temptation. He's not in a garden, but he's in the desert. He's in the wilderness. Jesus does not um, have what the Adam and Eve had. They had everything, and they couldn't eat from one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Jesus has not eaten or drank anything for 40 days and 40 nights, and the enemy doesn't come and tempt him one time. The enemy comes and tempts him over and over and over. Jesus is not tempted with, did God really say? He's tempted with comfort, with control, with power, with immediate gratification, with doing his own will. And where Adam and Eve fell, Jesus stands. Where Adam and Eve fell, Jesus stands. And so when Jesus is coming to this world and he's coming to the waters of baptism, he's identifying himself with man, but he's showing that he's better. He's altogether different. And you can trace through the Old Testament. We'll go through real fast through some of this. Remember the Israelites? They're God's people. God saves them out of slavery, gives them the law. What happens? Immediately they break the law. Immediately. Jesus, what happens with Jesus? Jesus comes and he's put under that law and the word tells us in Matthew chapter five that he doesn't come to abolish the law but to fulfill the law. What we see is that Jesus is identifying himself with man but better. If you remember, God's people are on their way to the promised land, right? And what happens? They lack trust in God and they grumble. It causes them to wander for 40 years in the desert. What happens with Jesus? The word tells us that Jesus fully entrusts himself to the Lord. At any point, you don't see Jesus grumble, complain, argue, or fight back or anything. It's, he's identifying himself with man, but better. And it's the same thing when he comes to the waters of baptism. He comes to fulfill the law. He comes to, that means he comes to perfectly love God and to perfectly love other people. He comes to fulfill all righteousness. What that really means is he comes to do the right thing every single time. And for Jesus to come and to do the right thing every single time, he must be put in situations where other people fall. Why did Jesus get baptized to fulfill all righteousness? If you even think back in the Old Testament, again, a lot of this is, is so crazy of how it sums up a lot of the Old Testament, even in this, in this moment of Jesus getting baptized. You remember the Old Testament, they, they got the law and they immediately broke it. And so God needed a way, or God wanted a way, that people could have forgiveness of sins. And so for those of us who, you know, you, you're not perfect, which is all of us, then back in the day, there was this way that you could get cleansed, you could become um, forgiven, and what they would do is they would take a lamb, and then they would get a priest. The priest came in through all of the sacrificial system too. And what would happen, the priest would touch a person and in essence pick up their sins off of that person and transfer it onto a lamb and put their hands on the lamb. And when they put their hands on the lamb, all of the person's sin has come onto the lamb 
And then because this lamb is now guilty, they would kill the lamb. And you're like, that's kind of cruel. And yeah, but God wanted there to be a way that people could be forgiven. And that was what he came up with. That's how, how it was. And so they had this sacrificial system where they would transfer it. The, the, the priest would touch the lamb, would touch the, uh, touch the person, touch the lamb, and now that lamb has the guilt. And that's why it would be called a scapegoat. So that was the system. But when you see that Jesus is coming to the waters for baptism, he's announcing something new. He, he kind of, I think, is saying, do you remember how the lamb, how we would transfer all the sin onto the lamb? Well, Jesus is the lamb of God. And so he's saying that something new is happening, something different is happening. So I want to do something with you. I want you to pretend like this is the Jordan River, okay? It's fairly small. And yes, we do have hard water in Miamisburg. These are just hard water stains, if you can see through the glass. Um, but um, this is the Jordan River, okay? So G John the Baptist, he's baptizing in the Jordan River, and people are coming to him, and they're dirty, they're sinners, they're, they're not clean, and they're coming for cleansing. And so let's pretend that they're sinners, cherry pomegranate, okay? So they're coming to the waters of baptism. They're entering into the water, and they're leaving a little bit of their sin behind. They, they figuratively are walking away clean. They're just coming in, getting baptized, coming in, getting baptized. And what you have then is, in essence, the Jordan River has become this place where there's just filth. And the people, rather than transferring their sin onto a lamb, they've transferred it, in a way, into the water. And then what happens is Jesus comes along. Jesus is a spoon. There's a verse that says that. Just kidding, there's not. So Jesus comes in as a spoon. Here's Jesus. Sorry, that was really weird. He comes in, though, and he comes into the water. He is not, sinner. He's not a sinner. Remember, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. In him there is no sin. He knew no sin. And what happens is he enters into the water. And so what happens is, as he enters the water, what Scripture tells us is that he comes into the water. He's identifying himself with man, but better. What's happening is, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we could become the righteousness of God. So what happens when Jesus enters into the water, rather than the, than the dirt, the filth going onto a lamb, it's going onto Jesus, and then Jesus walks through his life like this. He is imperfect, excuse me, he is perfect, and yet he's walking through life as if he is imperfect. We're going to leave Jesus over here for a minute. We'll come back to Jesus in just a little bit. But that's what's happening. For our sake, God made him who had no sin be sin. And so Jesus is walking through his life as if he is a sinner. He did not have sin, but he became sin. So what happens is as Jesus is getting, is getting baptized by a sinner in front of a sinner as if he is a sinner. That's what's happening with Jesus. Galatians 4, 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. So when Jesus comes to the waters of baptism, he's fulfilling the law. He's fulfilling all righteousness. He's identifying himself with man, but better. And he's taking on their sin and the sin of the whole world. When Jesus is entering into the water, he's allowing there to be a transfer of your sin and of my sin onto him. That's what's happening in this baptism. And then he's walking through his life with that. 
So Jesus fulfills all righteousness. He's also fulfilling the sacrificial system. What he's saying is there's no longer the need for a lamb because I, the lamb, have come. He's saying that there no longer do we need to go get a lamb and slaughter it because I am the lamb. So that's what happens. And the fact that this is happening in the Jordan River is mind-blowing. I'm going to confess to you that I hated the Old Testament for a lot of years. I've been a Christian for probably about 20 and a half, 21, somewhere in there, 20, over 20 years. For probably 15 years, I felt like the Old Testament was, just, you, just, you read it just every once in a while just to kind of say that you did, but really you read the, the New Testament. I think a lot of us can fall into that same trap. And I did that for like 15 years, but what I've started to, to realize as I begin to study the Old Testament more, I am learning so much more about who Jesus is. And so let me explain something to you. Remember, if you remember much about the Old Testament, God saved his people out of Egypt. They walk through the Red Sea. God gives them the law. God gives them this sacrificial system. And then they're wandering through the desert for 40 years because they don't have faith that God can and will do what he said he can and will do. So that's ultimately what's happening. So then God raises up a man by the name of Joshua. Joshua's name means God delivers. And Joshua's job is to take people into the promised land, right? So he's taking people. He's got people following him. He's got all of God's people following him. And his job is to take, take them into the promised land. But there's a huge problem. The problem is the Jordan River is totally blocking. How can we get into the promised land? We can't. The Jordan River's in the way. What do we do, God? And God says, I got this idea. Here's what I want you to do. I want the priests from the tribe of Aaron, part of the sacrificial system, remember? I want you to take the the priests, and I want them to carry the Ark of the Covenant into the water of the Jordan. And this is like, what? Ark of Covenant? Simply as possible. When God gives the law, he uses his finger to write in a stone his law. Later, he'll write it on human hearts, but he writes it on a stone. They take these stones, and these stones have touched God. Stones have touched God. So these stones are powerful, and they represent God's presence. And so what they do is they are told to build an ark. So they build this ark, like this little box, if you will, and they put the stones in it, and now this represents God's presence on earth. Got it? So the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence. And then the priests pick up God's presence and take it into the waters of the Jordan. And when the water is touched by God's presence on earth and a priest, the waters part. Think about this text. John the Baptist, do you remember who his dad is? His dad, Zechariah. Zechariah is of the tribe of Aaron, which means he's a priest. Zechariah, when he finds out that he's going to have a son, Johnny B., he is doing his priestly duty. So, John's dad is a priest, therefore John is a priest. And what we have in this text is the priest, John the Baptist, is entering into the waters of baptism with Jesus. What's Jesus' name? When when it's announced that there'll be a baby who's born, his name will be Emmanuel. What's Emmanuel? It means God with us. So when Jesus enters the water, he is God's presence on earth. God's presence on earth enters into the water, and two things happen. The priest touches him, and when the priest touches him, there is a transferring of sin onto Jesus. 
Think about that. Everything that you've ever done wrong, everything that I've ever done wrong, they're taking that sin and placing it onto Jesus. He's becoming the Lamb of God that takes away the sin in that moment. A second thing happens. When the priest took the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, into the water, the waters parted. And it was said, God said, when this happens, you will see that God is among you. So now, fast forward in the, into the New Testament, John the Baptist, a priest, is taking God's presence, Jesus, into the water, puts his hands on him, and when he does, it's not the waters that part, it is the heavens that part. The heavens part. And this is done as a symbol for you to understand and to know that God is before you. So when Jesus gets baptized, it is God specifically and unapologetically saying, I am here. That's what's happening in the waters of baptism. Jesus comes to get baptized to identify himself with man, but to be better. He does it to take on the sins of the whole world. He is getting ready to humble himself to the point of being humiliated, that he would be baptized by a sinner in front of sinners as a sinner, and he would walk through this life as a sinner. And if you remember, we didn't really talk tons about this last week, but temptation. The enemy tempts Jesus three times, and then he leaves and looks for an opportune time. Do you know when the opportune time was that he comes back to him? It's when Jesus will then be in a garden. Jesus will be in the garden of Gethsemane, knowing that he's about ready to face the punishment of this. And he says, Lord, please take this cup from me. But not my will, yours. Jesus is saying, in a way, I think, I, I, I signed up for this, but I'm not so sure. He's facing the question. Do I really want this? You know what it says that he does? It says that he drinks of the cup. So Christ takes on the sin of the whole world. He says, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Don't, don't allow all of this sin. Like right now it's just on me and around me, but don't let it go into me. But it says that he drinks of the cup. He just... And he takes it on and he takes it in. That's what happens. What will happen from this point is he will be stripped naked, he will be beaten, he will be mocked, he will be killed a criminal's death because he drank of it. He took it on, he took it in. And what John is saying here is it used to be that it was your family history that made it whether you were one of God's people. But that's not the way that it is now. There's a new way. There's a new way in which you can march through to the promised land. It's by Jesus. It's through faith in what I just showed. And what we see is this, is that when Jesus comes to fulfill all righteousness, what he's actually doing when he enters the water, he's agreeing to, he's establishing that he will go far enough to where he will take that sin on and take it away from you. 
But God, what's so cool about God is he doesn't just take, he gives too. And so he takes away our sin. Those of us who by faith have put our faith and our hope and our trust in him, he takes away our sin and then he gives us righteousness. So when it says that he came to fulfill all righteousness, what he's doing is doing something that would make it that you can be righteous, that you can be righteous, that I can be righteous. He's fulfilling righteousness for everyone, for all of mankind, he's fulfilling righteousness. But what's so cool about, about Jesus is there's this great exchange that happens with him, and, and, it's, and he takes away the bitterness that lives in our heart, and he replaces it with thankfulness. He wants to come into our lives and take away our pessimism and give us hope. He wants to take away our hatred and give us love. He wants to take away our condemnation and give us approval. When Jesus is entering the waters of baptism and signing up for this, there's a give and a take, and what he's trying to do is take away your shame and your guilt and give you joy and peace. When he drinks of this cup, he's trying to take away your sin and to give you righteousness. He's trying to take away the fact that you are separated from God and make it that you can be a son or a daughter of God. When Jesus does this, he's taking what you deserve and giving you something that you could absolutely never, ever earn. Why would he do that? How? Well, the word tells us that when he fulfills all righteousness, what happens is for those of us who through faith go to him, righteousness is credited to us. He fulfills all righteousness that we can go to him and we can receive that righteousness through faith. Romans 3.22 says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. We can go to him as Romans 15, excuse me, Romans 5.18 says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, that's Adam's sin, it came onto all of us, so in one act of righteousness can lead to justification and life for all men. So for those of us who put our faith in Christ, our sin is taken away, we're cleansed, we're forgiven, but also his righteousness is credited to us. So when Jesus um, does that, when God looks upon us, he sees righteousness. If you are in Christ, when God looks at you, he sees righteousness and cleansed and pure and holy because of what has happened. Now, John baptizes with water, right? The way that they were cleansed was by entering the water. The water kind of washed the sin off, right? But, but John says that there is someone who's coming who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, this baptize with the Holy Spirit, you could look into that and you'll see a hundred different definitions of what that really means. But ultimately, what does it really mean to be baptized in the Spirit is that you're immersed. The Spirit comes into you. And if you read through Scripture, I believe that it says that when you come into a relationship with God, you are given righteousness, your sin is taken away, you are given righteousness, and you are given the Holy Spirit. So for all of us who are in Christ, our sin's gone, righteousness is credited to us, and we have the Spirit. We've been immersed with the Spirit. The Spirit is in us now. How is it that we, they were cleansed? They were cleansed through the water. What happens with us? We are cleansed by the Spirit. And it's because we have the Spirit who, who convicts us, who leads us. And that is why, because of the Spirit's work in our life, that we can walk away from sin. We can walk away from our judgmental 
attitude. We can leave false idols. We can walk away from our hatred. We can stop pursuing worthless things because the Spirit is at work within us. We don't need to have a desire for popularity or be addicted to ourselves. We don't need to live in a way that's focused on self-protection, self-promotion, and self-righteousness. The Spirit wants to cleanse us into all righteousness. He also wants us to, to get away from the immediate gratification, from filth, from shame, from guilt. That's done because of the Spirit. We now have the Spirit who cleanses us. So why did Jesus get baptized? To fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill the law, to fulfill prophecy, to fulfill foreshadowing of the Old Testament, and to fulfill the sacrificial system. He provided a new way. He identified himself with man, but better, so that we could be identified with God. He also, in this moment of him going under the water, he is foreshadowing the fact of how will this officially happen, and it's the fact that he will die, he will be buried, and he will come up again. Jesus' baptism is simple to understand, yet the ramifications are so unbelievably profound. Jesus is showing how this will all take place. That's why Jesus got baptized. We're going to fly through two more. What does that mean for us? It means that we can be cleansed. We can be forgiven. We can be washed. We can be made righteous. Righteousness can be credited to us through faith. It means that we can leave things behind. We can walk away from those things. It also means that one day we can enter the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The Israelites, they were being taken from a land of desolateness, if that's the right way to say that, into a land flowing with milk and honey. Yeah, desolate, thank you. A land flowing with milk and honey. Well, what happens? We now... For those of us who are in Christ with the seal of the Holy Spirit, when we get to the end of this life, we can walk through the parted heavens and we can enter into a land flowing with milk and honey. We enter the land with, with our Savior, a land that is described as a place of rest, a place where we will experience rest from our enemies, a place where there'll be no more tears, no more mourning, no more pain, a place that is an everlasting uh, possession, a place that is described as the most glorious of lands, and we no longer walk through this life as strangers, exiles, and sojourners. That's what's happening in the waters of baptism. What does it mean for us? Our life can look profoundly different because we have the Spirit who is guiding us who's cleansing us. We were cleansed immediately, but we are continuing to be cleansed more and more into the image of our God. Why did Jesus get baptized? He identified himself with man, but better. He takes away sin, gives righteousness so that we could be identified with God. What does that mean for us? It means our life can look profoundly different now and in the future. Last, how do we respond? How do you respond to the fact that your sin can be taken away and righteousness can be added to you, that the Spirit can be in you, that can lead you to righteousness? Um, how many people like Cold Stone Creamery? Anybody like Cold Stone? So I, I like ice cream. Really, I like anything with sugar in it, which is probably a problem, but I like Cold Stone. Anybody familiar with the sizes at Cold Stone? There's the like it, which is you know just enough to like not really ruin your appetite or ruin your day. 
And then they have the love it, which is just big enough to kind of ruin your appetite for your next meal. And then they have the gotta have it that ruins your appetite for days. I think the way that we can respond to this truth that Jesus takes away our sin, credits us with righteousness, and gives us the spirit, we can like it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. High five, Jesus is cool. But ultimately, we leave without really being that changed. You're still hungry for the things of this world. You're still hungry for dinner. But if you go into this and you, you get the love it size, it's more than just a little taste, and it's probably going to make an impact, but the impact might not last all that long. You're going to be hungry again. But really what I think that we need to do is we need to go in and we got to order that got to have it size. Now, let me be real. For actually eating ice cream, you probably should not get the got to have it size. But for this, you should because this will make such an impact, it will mess with the entire insides of who you are, which is what the got to have it size does, especially those who are lactose intolerant. There's a different kind of ice cream I like a little bit better. It's Tonight Dough. Uh, Jimmy Fallon Tonight Dough, if you've never had it, don't ever get it because it will ruin your life. Um, whenever I get the pint size, I eat the whole thing, and I feel sick for days, like truly days. When we understand this truth, that there was a substitution, that there was a changing, that we were, our sin was taken away, righteousness was given to us, when we really understand that we got to have it, I think three things happen. One, because we realize that Jesus identified with us, we want to identify ourselves with him. One of those ways is baptism. They get baptized, the people before Jesus, to repent for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus gets baptized to identify himself with us and to take away our sin, to give us righteousness so that we can identify with him. But our baptism is to signify that something has happened in our life, that we have been wrecked, we have been changed, and we are going a different direction. It's what Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live now in the flesh, I live by, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. If you have never been baptized, I would encourage you to think through this. If you have been in that step of where you gotta have this truth. You gotta have this truth. The second thing that I think happens, they're all B's to help remember. One, we get baptized. Two, we're bold. Jesus tells us that if we are embarrassed of God, that God will be embarrassed of us. If we are ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of us. And so what happens if we gotta have it, we boldly share we're bold about the fact that we have been forgiven and we have been made righteous. Third thing that I think that happens, we bat, we're baptized, we're bold, and then we battle to be the light in the darkness. There's a battle going on. But when we got to have this truth, there's this battle because every single day, we were saved. We were, our sin was taken away. We were made righteous. But every single day, we still want to go in our old ways. Sin is still fun. Scripture even tells us that sin is fun for a season. We want to go the other way. And so every day, this battle is that I die to self. And the life that I live, I live in the flesh. I live to God. It's this battle. And really, the battle is just simply us submitting and allowing the Spirit to lead us where he will. Why did Jesus get baptized to identify himself with sinful humanity? 
to take that sin on so that he could give us righteousness, he could give us the spirit, give us a seal, so that we could then be identified with him. My hope and my prayer is that because he has done that, we want to be identified with him through baptism, through being bold, and through battling that we may be a light. Let's pray. God, um, again, I think that this truth is, on one hand, easy to understand, and in another way, it is so unbelievably difficult to understand. The ramifications are so deep, but God, I pray that as we really think through um, our lives, that we would see that there's so much that you have forgiven us from. And I pray that even as your word says, to whom those who, who have been forgiven much forgive much, I pray that the truth of this absolutely and totally wrecks us. That we got to have more of that truth. We got to understand that. We got to see all of the things that you've forgiven us from and allow that to wash over us. Allow that to deeply sink in and to think that how in the world could you and why in the world would you have made me a dirty sinner, the worst of all sinners, the chief sinners? Why would you have made me clean? So, God, I pray that that would impact my life, that would impact people's lives here. And if there's anybody here who does not know, who's never experienced the, the joy and the peace and the hope that comes from you taking their sins and giving them righteousness and you giving them the spirit, I pray that today would be that day. God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.